Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Tonight we have some of our favorite guests to talk to about everything that's exploding in the political world. We'll talk about the royal world with you guys. But Professor Corey Bretschneider will be with us. I've been away for a few weeks, so I haven't had a chance to talk to the professor about everything happening. But uh, between Steve Bannon surrendering himself today and, of course, the appointment of a special master by a, hmm, let's just say uh, decidedly, decidedly biased and not grounded in reality, Trump judge. There's a lot to cover. Also, the great Allison Gill of Mueller, she wrote, and the Daily Beans podcast joins us as well. Uh, the big show, Saturday night. I'm so excited. I did stand up in L.A. on Sunday, and I'll be doing it in D.C. this coming Saturday. Tomorrow night, I'll be with Thea in our studios in the Howard Stern Tower high above Gotham. But Saturday morning, I'm heading down to D.C. I hope to see you guys there as well. The last time we played Washington, D.C., on Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. We were playing with Margaret Cho, and uh, it was just a, a great, great show. This time, no exception. Hal Sparks will be playing Stephanie Miller, myself. Our special guest will include the great and brilliant Glenn Kirshner. It's going to be a big party. I hope you guys can come. You can go to sexyliberal.com for tickets. This is the uh, Saving Democracy Comedy Tour. We're only doing three dates. This is the only one on the East Coast, and it's going to be a big party because midterm season is on and hey why not be excited about it instead of just dark and miserable all the time so let's get to it let's do a show obviously we're talking a lot about queen elizabeth today and um the only thing weirder to me growing up than the royal family was the world's obsession with the royal family conservative people liberal people people who can't stand the monarchy still it's like a reality show that your mom had on in the other room, and it just somehow stayed on your entire life. Even if you don't care, you care. It, it's, it's a TV show that's always on. And to America, the, the Queen's kind of a pop culture property. To the UK, we've always been fascinated by what the Queen represents. She's not a monarch. She's more a mascot, more a symbol. I, I always felt the Queen was a lot like the Constitution or the Bible, a mirror in which you will see whatever you want to see. And I want to talk about her in as nuanced ways as possible, because there's a lot of people who are way too sad about her loss and a lot of people who are way too happy about her loss as well. And it's a shock for all of us, even if you're trying to decide what you really think about Queen Elizabeth II. For the first time in more than 70 years, 
the British royal anthem will no longer include the words, God save the Queen. It's just incredible to think about how much none of us can imagine a world without this woman. And, and you know, to her credit, under her reign, Britain's monarchy did better than survive. It actually stayed popular. That's the craziest achievement she did. I don't know if her son and grandson can continue it, but she found a way to keep the monarchy going and in its figurehead status, a popular thing. Queen Elizabeth died at age 96 today, ending an historic 70-year reign over the UK. She uh, was the country's longest-serving monarch. As you guys probably know, she came to the throne in 1952, crowned at the dawn of the television era. More than 80% of people who live in the UK now were born during her rule. 80%. 15 prime ministers served under her, starting with Winston Churchill and ending with Liz Truss. Um, Her father, George VI, as you guys know, only became the king after the abdication of his brother, Edward VIII, 326 days into his reign back in 1936, which was the biggest scandal in modern royal history. As a kid, maybe you were like me and saw the movie Edward and Mrs. Simpson. This guy was the king of England, but he fell in love with a socialite party girl from America, and it sparked a constitutional crisis. She grew up never intending, never intending to be queen. Her father was never meant to be king. It was always going to be Edward. Edward fell in love and became the first monarch in the 1,000-year history of the British crown to give up the throne of his own free will. Of course, then her father assumed the throne, her father of the famous Stutter, and a very good movie about that. And when her father died in February of 1952, 70 years ago this winter, Elizabeth, who was only 25 then, became Queen Regent of seven different Commonwealth countries, right? The UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Pakistan, and Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, as well as head of the Commonwealth. She uh, trained as a driver and a mechanic in World War II. She was given the rank of honorary junior commander, which is the female equivalent of a captain at the time. She met her future husband, Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark in 1934. Imagine, imagine, like, like FDR has been in office for one year and she meets this guy and they say married until this year. She reigned as monarch through so many changes that we all grew up watching the troubles in Northern Ireland the decolonization of Africa, the withdrawal from the European Union. And in all this time, 70 years, she never once gave an interview. You know, the last time a British monarch died, her father, uh, they had a code word, Hyde Park Corner for Buckingham Palace, which would be something they would say on the phones to keep switchboard operators at the palace from finding out the king had died. For Elizabeth, they already had the same plan in place, calling it London Bridge. The Prime Minister was alerted and was told London Bridge is down on secure lines. And then the news went out to 15 governments outside the UK where the Queen is also the head of state. 36 other nations of the Commonwealth were all told London Bridge is down today before the news actually broke. She was many different things. Ceremonial head of state, figurehead monarch, a mirror for the nation to gaze into, and the CEO of a really dysfunctional celebrity family. 
Her net worth last year was 365 million pounds, more than 450 million dollars. Um, not gained, just so you know, through hard work. But uh, there's a lot to discuss about her, and all night long we want your thoughts. Are you a fan? Are you a hater? Are you, like me, somewhere in the middle? Not a fan of the monarchy, but find her kind of interesting. Wish she had done more, but still not quite at the level of hatred yet because of things she didn't do. For me, it's really amazing because I've always associated her with being the queen of the rock and roll era. I mean, she was born in the 20s, but think about how rock and roll music began on her watch. And then think about also how she knighted Paul McCartney and then Cliff Richard and Tom Jones and Bono and Bob Geldof and Mick Jagger and Shirley Bassey and Ringo and David Bowie, who, by the way, declined the knighthood. And she also gave uh, a lot of other honors to other rockers. Uh, the commander of the Order of the British Empire, she gave that to Roger Daltrey, friend of this show, the Bee Gees, Rod Stewart, Clapton, Sting, Annie Lennox, Robert Plant. I, I was thinking today, watching all of the tributes and, and all the takedowns of the Queen, it's hard to separate her persona from her influence on pop culture. I mean, I was just thinking about the music. Today, I was just thinking about the music I grew up in and the movies I grew up in that include or name check this queen. You know, when John Lennon returned his Order of the British Empire MBE to protest Britain's involvement in many wars, uh, Paul McCartney was the one who always was a bit kinder. He was knighted when she had her platinum jubilee. Earlier this year, he said, 70 beautiful years of Queen Elizabeth II. Congrats. And of course, he wrote the song Her Majesty, one of the few songs in all of our popular culture that references the Queen in a kind of neutral way. I mean, it's kind of positive. She's a pretty nice girl. Doesn't have a lot to say. It's not like he's praising her or damning her. And by the way, I didn't know this, but uh, Queen Elizabeth is mentioned in four different Beatles songs. I, I, like the Beatles were in grammar school when she became monarch. But she's mentioned in Penny Lane, For You Blue, Mean Mr. Mustard, and Her Majesty. And then all the other songs about the Queen. I mean, right away, I wonder if you, like me, thought of the Sex Pistols. 1977, savagely anti-royal. John Lydon later came out and said he's got nothing against her. He said, God bless the Queen. She's put up with a lot. I've got no animosity against any one of the royal family. Never did. It's the institution of it that bothers me and the assumption that I'm to pay for it. I think Johnny Rotten speaks for a lot of people there. I, all day long, though, I was hearing the Smiths, The Queen is Dead. Chris, I'm guessing that was the first song you thought about today. I mean, Morrissey has been slagging Queen Elizabeth for so many years. And Queen is Dead was the Smiths, was it their third record in 1986? Uh, he said a couple years ago, monarchy represents an unequal and inequitable social system. There is no such thing as a royal person. You either buy into the silliness or else you are intelligent enough to realize that it is all human greed and arrogance. And the irony of that is that, while I agree with a lot of it, you know, the Queen, <laughs> she was engaged in World War II fighting fascism, and Morrissey is now a fascist. It's, I mean, that song, man, I listened to it again. Her very lowness, with her head in a sling. I'm truly sorry, but it sounds like a wonderful thing. Then the Stone Roses had a big hit uh, in the UK, Elizabeth My Dear, back in the late 80s. Um... That was a one-minute song, Elizabeth, My Dear. And it goes to the tune of Scarborough Fair. Tear me apart and boil my bones. I'll not rest till she's lost her throne. My aim is true. My message is clear. It's curtains for you, Elizabeth, my dear. That song came out 33 years ago. Uh, the Pet Shop Boys had Dreaming of the Queen. 
1993, which, again, like the Beatles, wasn't really pro or anti. Uh, Primal Scream had insect royalty in the late 90s, which was definitely an anti-Queen song. Madonna met the Queen in 2002, and um, she said it was hilarious because uh, she said it was pretty clear that the Queen had no idea who she was. And John Cleese was with her, and he had no, she had no idea who John Cleese was either. But Madonna mentions the Queen and the, Queen in the song Illuminati. Uh, Billy Bragg, of course. He wrote a great song, uh, Rule Nor Reason, um, which is kind of sympathetic to her. Billy Bragg is someone I turn to for a lot of angry political songs, but he wrote, The queen on her throne plays Shirley Bassey records when she's all on her own, and she looks out the window and cries. With accordions. Um, Slothigh had a song called Nothing Great About Britain a couple years ago that's a violently anti-queen punk song. Uh, and then Ringo did a song called Elizabeth Reigns that's actually a very Beatlesque song where they talked him into doing a song about the Queen, and it's kind of slagging on the Queen a little bit. It's kind of making fun of her, but she still gave him a knighthood. Then I was thinking, how many times have we seen the Queen show up in movies? I mean, how many actresses have played Queen Elizabeth? I don't know about you. Like, I live with a woman who watches The Crown, so I've seen every episode of that thing. And it's quite good, but I was trying to make a list today. Obviously, Helen Mirren won the Oscar for playing her in the movie The Queen, and then Helen also won a Tony Award playing her in the play The Audience, which I saw. That's the play that inspired The Crown. It's an amazing play. Um, Helen Mirren plays the Queen at every age of her life, from being a teenage girl, or rather a 25-year-old, to being in her 90s. And it's an amazing physical performance. She just never leaves the stage, but just does her makeup and costume and manages to age. And it's all about how every week the Queen has an audience with the Prime Minister, starting with Churchill, going through all of them. And it was just Helen Mirren on stage for two hours with different actors coming in, conversing with her. Just amazing. Uh, Emma Thompson played the Queen in the film Walking the Dogs. Kristen Scott Thomas played the Queen on, in the stage play The Audience. She took over from Helen Mirren in the uh, run at the London's Apollo Theater. Claire Foy plays the Queen on The Crown. Olivia Colman plays her on The Crown. The Staunton is going to play her for the fifth and sixth seasons of The Crown, which have not premiered yet, but I'm very excited for that casting. Uh, Nev Campbell played Queen Elizabeth in a film called Churchill, The Hollywood Years. Uh, Freya Wilson was the young girl who played her in The King's Speech. Jane Alexander. Jane Alexander played the Queen in a made-for-TV movie called William and Catherine, A Royal Romance, about Prince William and Kate Middleton that came out about 10 years ago. And then there's Jeanette Charles a name you probably don't know, but she was a professional Queen Elizabeth impersonator for like 50 years. She's the lady who plays the queen in The Naked Gun when Leslie Nielsen walks out of the bathroom and, you know, causes her a lot of problems. Uh, she also played the queen in National Lampoon's European Vacation, played the queen in Austin Powers, gold member. And then there's the animated movies. They just had a film called The Queen's Corgi, which was all about uh, Julie Walters playing the queen and about her dogs, Minions, Showed the Queen as a rock star. When I told my child that the Queen had died, he brought up how she's a character in the Minions movie. And then The Simpsons. Uh, so many actors have played the Queen's voice on The Simpsons, from Maggie Roswell to Eddie Izzard. In uh, Cars 2, Vanessa Redgrave plays her as a car queen. Uh, and then there was also uh, <laughs> the Monty Python episode, Royal episode 13. There was that sketch she did with Daniel Craig. There was that sketch she did with Paddington Bear. It, it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I'm not even a fan of the royal family or the monarchy, but I've been watching this reality show my entire life. The way, the way you know about so many celebrities because you buy groceries and you have to read the covers of the tabloids. It, it, it's unescapable. What's going to happen now? Well, uh, there's going to be several weeks of mourning. If you know British people, get ready for it. There are going to be 
having a coronation at some point in the next year for King Charles III, that is his name now, not right away, more than a year passed between Queen Elizabeth's secession to the throne and her coronation at Westminster Abbey, uh, which is where all of the coronations happen for the past 900 years. And King Charles, I'm not used to saying it yet either, he's going to take over a very different-looking UK than the one his mother had at the start of her reign. Right now, Charles is going to be head of state to 14 other countries. Australia, Antigua, Barbuda, the Bahamas, Belize, Canada. Ooh, Canada, sorry. Your money just got a lot less attractive. Uh, Grenada, Jamaica, Papua New Guinea, St. Christopher and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, New Zealand, Solomon Islands, Tuvalu. Charles is an interesting guy. He, he's one of the most uh, unlikable stiff fellows in the world. But progressively, in terms of his politics, he's been way in front of climate science for many years. When he was 21, he gave his first major speech on the topic of climate change in Cardiff, Wales, like in 1970. Long before we even had the term climate change, long before it was a political talking point, Charles has been behind environmentalism for a long time and charity work. I'll give him credit where it's due. As a husband, not so sure. But um, it's been interesting that for someone so stiff and uptight, he's actually been very, very progressive in his public efforts. Charles is going to have to decide if he wants to continue to talk about climate change or if he wants to be like his mom and have no political opinions whatsoever to be more liked. But Here's what I want to ask you guys about. And our number is 866-997-GRIT. And if you're not listening live, you're listening to the podcast or on demand or on the app, we invite you to write and tell us your thoughts on the Queen. We'll read them on the air because a lot of folks on the left are talking all about what a colonizer, what a colonizer. And I'll be honest, I, I joked about that too. I, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I won't say the Queen died. I'll, I, I, she's gone to colonize heaven. But the reality is she's not a colonizer. I don't like the monarchy. I don't like the history of colonization. But the 60s and 70s was all about the decolonization of Africa and the Caribbean. More than 20 countries got independence from Britain and transitioned to self-government under her reign. She reigned during the complete dismantling of the British Empire. And I got to be fair to her. And I'm sorry to piss off my lefty friends, but this queen oversaw more acts of decolonization then she oversaw acts of colonization. Now, she never apologized for any of it. She didn't do it, but her ancestors did. She never made amends, never tried to make it right. But she made an impact. She was definitely made an impact in Northern Ireland. She made 25 visits to Northern Ireland, three times before she became queen. And one thing that always impressed me was when she went 10 years ago, in 2012, because it just showed how far she had come from the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and how far Ireland had come. That was when she met former IRA commander Martin McGuinness, who was by then a prominent politician, no longer part of the IRA. But it was the IRA that committed all those acts of terror against the colonizer England. It was the IRA that blew up the boat of the Queen's husband's uncle, Lord Mountbatten. And the war was over. The weapons were put away. She met the former IRA commander, and she shook his hand. McGinnis said, that remarkable woman has made a great contribution to peace in Ireland. Shaking hands with me was an important step in cementing the peace process, and I hold her in great esteem for doing something that can't have been easy for her. So that's kind of where I've been at all day with the Queen. You know, like, things I like, things I don't like, and uh, just being shocked by how pervasive a presence she's been in our culture. 
I mean, and again, in her reign, no new territories were claimed by Britain. She did not colonize. She's, of course, has continued to prop up this system. And I think she deserves blame for not dismantling the system itself a bit better. But she's not responsible for the actions of her ancestors. The sins of her ancestors are not hers. What you do with it is another matter. Americans know what this is about. When we talk about the history of racism, of Jim Crow, of apartheid, of slavery, that our ancestors took part in, there's two ways to go. You can either condemn it, or you can play dumb about it and act like it's fine. Queen Elizabeth did not perpetuate it, but she did not condemn it. 70 years and 214 days, by the way. That's how long she served. 17 years, 214 days. And all day long, I saw a whole lot of folks talking about how that was the longest reign of any monarch in history. Not true. Uh, looking into it, the longest verifiable reign of any monarch that we know of is uh, Sobhuza II, king of Swaziland, who served for 82 years and 254 days. In fact, uh, King Sobhuza II led his country through the end of British colonization. So, again, you know, her fortune was made on millions and millions of dollars of treasure that was looted from black and brown people. You can't turn that off. It was pillage. And, and again, I think we could talk a little bit about her parenting skills. I mean, she thought it was totally cool to take this 20-year-old virgin uh, and marry off her older son while the older son was keeping up a long-running affair with a married woman. Uh, okay. I mean, there are those who would say maybe, maybe parenting could have been more astute. And let's talk about Andrew, who has been accused of having non-consensual sex with a young woman offered up to him by Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, the more I see these racists getting upset about Meghan Markle and not getting upset about Prince Andrew and the queen protected her son. I guess we all would, right? But that's going to be part of her legacy that her son had sex with an underage girl and the queen helped manage the damage control. I think a lot of people were hoping that she would sustain British greatness. And I think her popularity makes a lot of people feel that the empire is still a great thing. I think she means something different to everyone. I mean, talk to your British friends and loved ones. But to me, she's always going to be a symbol of the empire, not so much imploding, but starting to shrink. You know, she'll be remembered for how hard she worked on the job. She'll be remembered for how she tried to help the job by stripping Andrew of his title. Uh, figuring out Queen Camilla's title, Queen Consort Camilla. Got to get that right. Now Charles has an opportunity to actually do something powerful and to make a real historical impact. Not just by being a champion for climate change, which he definitely should do fearlessly. And Charles's lack of charm is fine. It's a moral crusade, and it would be smart for him in the history books to stand up for it. But also, Charles has a chance now to scale back this whole silly institution. This figurehead monarchy grounded in pillage and looting and colonizing, scaling back the royal pomp and circumstance, and then, you know, maybe bringing Britain's monarchy into the 21st century, like the monarchies we see in Scandinavia, that would be something that we could celebrate. We want to know what you guys think. And all I'll say is, I, you know, God bless the queen. I wish peace on her soul. I wish more love for all people. And uh, let's just say some people go to a real great extent to avoid having a second meeting with Liz Truss. 
We are at 866-997-GRIT. I got to tell you, I mean, what is that like? You become the prime minister of England, you meet the queen, and then she dies two days later. Um, we got to take a break. It's getting crazy here. I got to quiet a dog down. We'll be right back with Professor Corey Brettschneider, and we're taking your calls all night at 866-997-GRIT. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I'm John saying This is Sirius XM Progress. Let's shift away uh, from the UK back to our side of the pond, shall we? Because prosecutors said in a new court filing that temporarily halting the federal criminal probe into ex-president Donald Trump's handling and storage, let us just say theft of classified materials, would result in irreparable harm to the government and the public, mainly because uh, he doesn't have executive privilege. And uh, he can't declassify them and they're not his. Uh, The uh, prosecutors also said the U.S. District Court Judge Aileen Cannon's attempt to enjoin the investigation while permitting a parallel national security review of the seized documents was totally unworkable. What does all this mean? I don't know. I'm a clown. I need someone smarter than me. And that's why we are so blessed to have Professor Corey Brettschneider joining us. He, of course, is someone who turns on minds in the poli-sci department at Brown University. You've read his stuff in Politico, The New York Times and Time. His essential book is The Oath in the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents. You should also pick up his Penguin Liberty series on free speech, impeachment and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. Man, I missed talking to this guy when I was away for a couple of weeks. Professor Brett Schneider, welcome back. Thanks, John, and uh, glad to be back with you. And of course, lots to talk about. Yes, God save the king. Let's get into it. Um, So yeah, the DOJ is trying to overturn this federal judge who, spoiler alert, was appointed by Trump uh, that blocked investigators from looking at any of the documents that they seized from Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, I first thought, Corey, well, I'm pretty sure they can commit it to memory. I mean, they they can remember what they saw. They can still go forward with building their case while it's happening. But what is this about? And did Judge Aileen Cannon really help Trump, or does this just slow down the inevitable? Well, I mean, we don't know the details of what's in those documents, but certainly it's crucial to not be blocked in their ability to look through them, I think, in order to to show what what it looks like they're going to try to show, possibly in a criminal charge, that he was really for his own purposes, and God knows what he was doing with them, possibly selling them or blackmailing yeah. people or any host of a series of things that, that you know, could be related even to 
to espionage, um, uh, that he was, you know, should have had these things, that he refused to turn them over, that he was obstructing the attempt to get them back. Uh, and so what this judge has really done is slowed down their ability to use these documents and basically to conduct their investigation. Now, you know, I think usually we'd, we'd you know, say, I wonder if the fact that she was a Trump appointee might matter here. Of course it does. And the way that you know that is not just that she's a Trump appointee. He appointed some judges who are not ridiculous, but you, you know it because she cites, in her opinion, the idea of executive privilege. Now, that alone isn't so far-fetched. She's right to say that previous presidents have tried that. And the most important one is Richard Nixon tried to basically keep control over all the documents that related to his administration and to Watergate uh, in a case against uh, the general, it's called Nixon versus General Services Administration, about his basically privilege, what he claimed was his privilege to retain his own, uh, retain the tapes, keep the public from seeing them. Now, (laughs) a couple of things. One is that was the public that wanted to see them. This is just the Department of Justice doing it without releasing the documents themselves and exercising secrecy. Uh, And yet the judge seems to think that even though in the Nixon case there was no privilege to keep these documents from the public, here there's a privilege to keep them even from the Department of Justice. So what's absurd to the bottom line is they're relying on executive privilege. He's no longer president, and she's relying on a case that says exactly the opposite of what she's saying. So this, to me, was just a mind-blowingly bad opinion, and it really is reducible to the fact, I think, that this is a Trump appointee who is trying to have his back. Who knows what kind of craven thing she was looking for, maybe. I I mean, does it even have anything to do? Does it have anything to do with Trump, Corey? This is all about the Federalist Society. You play ball this decade, next decade, you get a Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard to say because even among conservatives, I think I'm seeing, you know, a lot of you know, certainly in that group, for instance, there are a lot of there's a wing anyway that's anti-Trump. She's clearly catering to the pro-Trump wing. But it's an embarrassing decision. And even for a lot of conservative lawyers, I think they're looking at this and thinking this is just made up. And it is one of those opinions that's, you know, beyond bad in the sense of, you know, conservative versus liberal. It's I think everyone agrees that she's citing cases that don't say what she says they say. Right. And she's basically making up the law in an attempt to, to, to stop the, the Department of Justice from doing its its job. I mean, it's it's incredible. Like her order heavily emphasized Trump's status as a former president. And that's what a lot of people I read were, were kind of shocked at how exceptionally favorable she was to Trump. I mean, by being a former president, she's just stressing how executive privilege doesn't apply. I mean, it right. just seems like uh, to some degree... Uh, by the way, and she also knew this opinion stinked, Corey. She released this mm. on Labor Day, on a federal mm. holiday, she announced it. Yep. To me, that seems like even this judge knows how unpopular this will be in some quarters. Absolutely. And, you know, she's really just citing Richard Nixon's arguments in a case that he lost. And, <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just an example of somebody who's really stretching. And if executive privilege has any meaning, and there is an executive privilege to some degree that courts have recognized, but it has to do with issues like national security of sitting presidents, uh, of privacy that's necessary to do the job. He's not doing the job anymore. He's a former right. president who's stolen right. documents. 
So the idea that any of those arguments that support executive privilege would apply here, she's got no principles. Instead, I mean, that's why she leans so heavily on just citing cases. But then when you look at the cases, including that really interesting Nixon case, I mean, Nixon basically tried to do a version of what Trump Trump is doing to try to claim that all these documents were his and, and his personal property. And there was a law passed to stop that, which is part of what's relevant here. And there was a Supreme Court decision that said absolutely not, that there is no such thing as executive privilege of former presidents to hang on to your own stuff. So now the only question is, you know, what to do. And the Department of Justice, uh, as I think you said, has has appealed the ruling and it's up going to be up, I guess, to either this judge to reverse herself to see that she's made a mistake or to the appellate court mm. to, to reverse it. Now, you know, let's not be naive. We know the world that we're living in. This might go to the Supreme Court. And he, I mean, I hate to say it, but maybe he does have five votes there for such a crazy theory. You know, certainly got a couple in Thomas and Alito, <laughs> whether they Unreal. can bring anybody on. Broad. You're right. You're right. The deck is just the deck is stacked. It Corey, is. Yeah. What, can you explain to us really quick? I want to get off the story, but I want to ask you really sure. quick. What 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 is a special master? Most of us had never heard that term before the last couple of weeks. I thought it. You know, you have to pay the escort extra, so she calls yeah. you that. Um, <laughs> I mean, when I hear about this, I, I know that Merrick Garland's upset, but. To me, I'm kind of like, by all means, let's have impartial third parties see what they're arguing is privileged. Let's let's get more people on here uh, to look at yeah. this thing. Um, what what I mean, is the worry is master? that if she if she a special master basically is exactly that an impartial party that's supposed to look at the documents and can be charged by the judge to make some decisions. For instance, are these germane to the investigation or not, or are they on a fishing expedition? Those are all things that the special master could do. The problem is that she hasn't really, and this was a very strong part of the Department of Justice's reply to her in in a recent filing, she hasn't identified even documents that might be so, uh, that he might have some privilege in, in keeping, and she hasn't identified reasons why they would be privileged. So in order to have a special master, you have to be saying, well, the Department of Justice is not capable of doing its normal job. There's been some abuse. There's some conflict of interest that's here that that keeps them from doing what they normally do. And she hasn't shown that. That's the first thing. So it just winds up slowing things down and being an obstruction. But I think more importantly, what I'm worried about is, you know, who's it going to be? If she has the power to appoint the special master and it's Ken Starr, uh, we're in real trouble. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Well, then let me move on to um, America's sweetheart, Steve Bannon, who surrendered today (laughs) uh, against charges from New York that uh, pick up the federal investigation that Trump, of course, ended with a pardon. Steve Bannon was famously ripping off Donald Trump supporters and the feds went after him. Donald Trump pardoned him so he could go forth and continue his fine work. And now, of course, he's been indicted on the state level, which even in the remote chance Trump became president again, could never pardon. I want to play a quick clip. This is him arriving at his arraignment in handcuffs and wearing three shirts. You know, he always wears three shirts all the time. Corey, you've seen, you know why? He looked very clean today for him. Nah, he wears because when he vomits the Jägermeister, he can just take that shirt off and there's a clean one underneath. Here's Steve Bannon, A1, with plenty to say to reporters. This is an irony. On the very day the mayor of this city has a delegation down on the border, they're persecuting people here and trying to stop them on the border. This is all about 60 days from the day. 60 days from the day. 
I know I should be happy about this, but I'm already sick of this guy, Corey. What, what, what is going on? He was charged with money laundering and conspiracy? It's exactly the same investigation that the federal government was pursuing against them, basically that he was at fits exactly with the uh, ad about um, how Trump is basically out to scam all MAGA supporters. This was the worst direct scam for money uh, that, you know, they were pretending to raise money for a wall that he was really putting into his own pocket and pockets of his friends. And the federal government was going to indict him for this and and prosecute him. And that's what Trump uh, gave him the pardon for. Now, pardons are pardons of federal offenses, but you can't pardon a state offense. So Letitia James, the attorney general, of New York quite, quite rightly looked at this and said, wow, this pardon was a wild abuse of power, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to um, – the courts aren't going to do anything. The courts have wrongly, in my opinion, said that the president's power – or have sort of implied without saying that the president's power to pardon is unlimited. But Letitia James said, I have the ability to just charge him again under state law for basically the same offense. And uh, that's what's gone on here. And uh, I think and she finally actually did we'll it. See, see some justice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, let's not forget, this is completely distinct from Steve Bannon's other problem, which is his indictment for blowing off a congressional subpoena in the January 6th hearings. He's still facing right. uh, jail time for that as well. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I know they, <laughs> they raised about 15 million to construct this scam wall with Mexico, and they just skimmed all the donations. I mean, this seems like low-hanging fruit, a deeply unsympathetic character uh, who, you know, no one's going to feel bad about. I don't see a lot of MAGA folk rioting in the streets for Steve Bannon's justice. No, because he ripped them off, and the more they learn about that, now I'm hoping they learn that about Trump, too, that, that, you know, he was continually raising money for what looked like, you know, legitimate public purposes to them, and really he was putting it, in his pocket, those are, you know, credible accusations about both of them. And so maybe this will start to, um, you know, use the metaphor, bring bring the wall down. I will tie the two conversations <laughs> together, the argument about executive privilege and the argument about pardons and the, the topic of the day, which, of course, is monarchy. And I think, you know, these were powers of a king to pardon anyone he or she wanted. Uh, there were privileges of a king that you couldn't prosecute a king, you couldn't investigate a king or a queen or a monarch. And, you know, those date to the common law of England and British monarchy. And we have in both of these cases are instances where the Trump people are trying to really say, hey, we have these kingly powers, even after he's no longer in power. And thankfully, what we're seeing uh, uh, people push back on Letitia James in the case of Bannon and the pardon. And I hope the Department of Justice will prevail over this judge when it comes to executive privilege and saying, no, that we don't have monarchy in this country. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is we have vestiges of monarchy. We have these pieces of the puzzle that look like they come from monarchy. And we just have to reform the system until we're no longer in that world. I mean, we have monarchy, but they had come with expiration dates, uh, you know, yeah. like literally when when the DOJ decides because fairy dust that a sitting president can't be indicted. We're essentially saying we have a king that the president lives above the law. I mean, that is officially the policy of the United States at this point. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I wish we would have learned from the Trump era, which I think you and I agree about, but but I don't think that the country's learned it is. We have to get away from that way of thinking. We've given presidents way too much power when it comes especially to the pardon, which can be abused over and over to 
help cronies rather than to show mercy as it's supposed to be used. And I think it just has to be reined in. And um, when it comes to executive privilege, the same thing is true. I mean, you have this crazy idea that the privilege extends to even if you commit a crime while in office, that you can't be prosecuted. And uh, often it's too late after you've been prosecuted and after you've been president and, and there are dilemmas there. And Trump, you're seeing succeed in and try to really retain the power of monarchy after being in office. That's what his whole yeah. argument is about. And, and thankfully, that's what we're pushing back against. So it's true. We have these elements of monarchy in our system. And I think we've got to think about ways to really rid ourselves of them. Forty five men have held this job in the history of the country, and this will be the first time any of them will be indicted or held accountable legally for crimes. Uh, It's incredible. You know, I think that there, um, you know, Richard Nixon should have been indicted. And one of the places that we went wrong in during the Ford administration was in thinking this was a one time thing. And okay, he was a particularly bad guy. We'll pardon him and move on. And what we've seen instead is the kind of narcissism that it takes to win the presidency also might lead to a criminal president taking over. And there's a danger, given all these elements of monarchy in that system, the executive privilege, uh, the pardon power. And, you know, we've got to find ways to 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 rein that in and to to not assume that we're going to have good people in power. We should assume the opposite, that there might be more Trumps and more Nixons. And the founders knew about this. They were, you know, people sort of dismissed them for a long time. But Patrick Henry, for instance, talked about a criminal using the pardon power to let off, um, uh, you know, co-conspirators and to to become a king. And and that's not paranoid talk to me. I mean, that's really prescient. It's an example of things that we really have to um, have to worry about uh, when it comes to our presidents. Professor, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Uh, every week here, John, uh, now, <laughs> now that we're back, uh, and on Twitter at BrettSchneiderC and CoreyBrettSchneider.com. I've missed talking to you, sir. Next time we'll have a bit more breathing yeah. room, but so much going on today. Thank you, Corey. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. We're at 866-997-4748. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am so thrilled 
to welcome our next guest. I'm always thrilled anytime we can pin her down for five minutes to join us on the air. Allison Gill, known to you lot as AG, is a terrific broadcaster and a staunch advocate for resistance against fascism. She began her first podcast, Muller, she wrote, in her kitchen five years ago. And when the government investigated the podcast, Donald Trump had her fired, even though she'd been working for the government for over 11 years. Then she became host of The Daily Beans, which you need to subscribe to. It's a woman-owned and operated progressive news podcast, and it is so smart. It is so funny. Allison Gill is a free speech hero. We're always glad to welcome her back to the show. Hello, Allison. I, I hope I can live up to the expectations put forth in that introduction. Oh, please. John. It the is legend of the legend of Muller, she wrote. My God, it's so good to have you here. Uh, and there's so much I want to talk about with you. The first thing, though, is an issue that sort of faded from the headlines in the last couple of weeks because we all have the attention span of the guy from Memento. And that is the January 6th investigation and the hearings. It was the big miniseries all summer. Uh, we heard it's been picked up for another season. It'll be back in the fall. But you're actually someone who went to several of the hearings in D.C., and I'm curious where where the hearings are sitting for you right now. Um, do you hear much about the machinations going on going on behind the scenes? And uh, it feels like we're in halftime, really, sort of in the in the public hearings. Where 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 does it stand right now? Yeah, or at least uh, getting close to the end of the third quarter, right? If we're going to go right. with football, sure, um, American football. Um, I think what they're focusing on, and from what I hear from behind the scenes, what they're really going to be looking at in, in the upcoming hearing or two or however many they decide to have uh, before uh, before the midterm election or even after have to do with the money and the funding. And, John, it's really interesting, a little tidbit that went under the radar with all of the very important news about what's going on at Mar-a-Lago with nuclear secrets being stolen and potentially sold and compromised. Uh, is a tidbit of news that the Department of Justice now, the grand jury looking into the one six stuff, is investigating Trump's PAC, the Save America PAC that was created yes. just days after after the 2020 election. And and a lot of the f money going into that PAC has been paying for his legal fees, for the legal fees of uh, folks like the Oath Keepers, good good group there, uh, oh, yeah. and, and many other one six witnesses, including Cassidy Hutchinson's first lawyer, which she ditched to help cooperate and give her full testimony to the hearing. So, and that's what I wanted to talk about because I, I, I don't know if you have any inside dope on that, but I found Cassidy the most fascinating thing about Cassidy Hutchinson's story was the fact that up until a couple of weeks before, she wasn't planning on ever sharing it. People forget, you know, things were kosher with her and Trump. Uh, she went to work at Mar-a-Lago after Trump left the White House. Something happened where she was compelled for some reason to come and tell the truth, and she dumped her Trump-appointed lawyer. People need to understand when they donate to Trump's super PAC, you're, you're paying for lawyers for people who aren't Donald Trump. Oh, 100%. That was Passantino that she got rid of. I'm not sure if it were, uh, if it was the threats that she was getting, uh, you know, the veiled threats from, you know, we, we get the transcripts, we know what you're saying, we know you're going to be loyal. Uh, or if it was just wanting to do the right thing, talking to some of her friends like Farah, uh, I can't remember her name. She's now a CNN uh, anchor or Olivia Troy or, you know, uh, trying to, you know, folks talking to her or a combination of those things. Um, and maybe other lawyers approaching her saying, look, it's probably a really good idea that you don't participate in this obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and she changed her her tune, as did several uh and particularly young women who were working for trump 
at the time that, that came out uh, to testify and, and, and grab new lawyers and, and, you know, be on the right side of history. Yeah. I mean, Cassidy Hutchinson was fascinating to me because we heard so much talk about how she was going to get sued by the Secret Service when she gave her revelations. And oh, man, was she lying? And the Secret Service is going to come out here and tell you how badly she lied. And she's going to jail for her perjury. And then last week, with very little fanfare, Tony Ornato just retired from the Secret Service. The guy she spoke about never bothered to come out and say it was a lie, just left the organization. I mean, it's frustrating because much like the Mar-a-Lago documents, Allison, I feel like there's so much here in the story we're all watching that we're never going to know. Right, or at least not going to know for a very long time. Yes. Uh, and that's why yes. when when I was recording the Mueller She Wrote podcast, I would joke around about, you know, cryo freezing my head so someone could wake <laughs> me up in 50 years to tell me what's in the rest of the Mueller report. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't use what was there. So why does it matter? Ten counts of obstruction. I'm still waiting for the Democrats to impeach Trump for those. But it, it, it does seem that... Um, you know, for all of the drama, look at Rusty Bowers, who came out and told the truth about one thing, uh, and the entire party just vomited him out in Arizona. Uh, they're mad. They were threatened. They pitched a fit. But no one's testimony has been refuted. I think the smartest thing that committee did was make the overwhelming majority of witnesses who testified Republican citizens. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Republicans, uh, former Oath Keepers. People who were uh, charged in the one six attack on the Capitol, the Ayers guy, uh, that's all it is. And and it's it's fascinating, too, with the same thing going on down in in Georgia, um, you know, with with people arguing the the fraudulent electors arguing that they shouldn't have to to testify because she, you know, Fannie Willis is coming after us because we're Republicans. And the judge saying, I'm sorry, but this is an investigation into Republican interference in the 2020 election. How would you assume that that it's not got to do with the fact that you're Republicans? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we don't see stop this us day. from playing victim. Don't stop us from playing victim. It's how we define ourselves and raise funds. What, what 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 do you mean by subpoenaing Republicans in an investigation about Republican interference? Um, so <laughs> and that's just that's how it goes. Anyone who has anything counter narrative to the facts that have been put out by the one six committee or in the filings of the department of justice will not testify under oath and or takes the fifth so why trump cultists can't put those things together i think well probably because they're cultists well look i mean if they didn't care about stealing from vets with a fraudulent online university if they didn't care about charity fraud and the man being banned from running a charity because of his own corruption why should we assume they're going to care that he stole government property and classified intel presumably logically for profit and self-gain um I mean, I don't know why we're imagining this. These cult members will care about any of it. And as you know, this week, this Trump appointed judge on Labor Day, when the news was light, granted the request by Trump's legal team to appoint this special master to look at the documents seized by the FBI. Allison, is it is it bad civics? Is it bad resistance to say that I'm already tired of the document story? I don't feel like we're ever going to know what's there. I don't feel like Trump's ever going to go to jail for it. And I feel like all this kerfuffle with the special master is just going to slow the whole thing down. Oh, I think he will. Uh, but uh, to focus just on, you know, the the special master thing here, Please. the Department of Justice has filed a brilliant work product response uh, to uh, for request for a stay, a motion for a stay 
for for this judge's order that you stop investigating anything that has to do with anything that you got on August 8th when you were uh, executing a search warrant, a lawful search warrant on, on Mar-a-Lago. And the Justice Department is like, we can't bifurcate the intelligence community and the FBI because the FBI is part of the intelligence community and both are part of the executive branch and they all work for Merrick Garland. So we can't separate the criminal investigation from the national security assessment risk, uh, nor, uh, nor would anybody want to. And understandably, maybe you want to have a special master come and look at the stuff that's not classified. Fine. You're wrong, but whatever. Right. Uh, but these classified documents, can't, the, there's no point in a special master because Donald Trump does not own them. He has no possessory interest in them. These Correct. belong to the, to the federal government. And she just put out a minute order just like an hour ago uh, asking Donald Trump uh, and his team of lawyers to respond to those 100 documents to what the Department of Justice is saying with regards to the emerge the motion for a stay. Right. But she left out the word classified. And I think that, I think that's important because I think what she, what what's what we're seeing here is this is now where Trump is going to have to say whether he declassified these documents or not, or at least make that, you know, we were just right. talking about how anybody who's opposed to whatever Cassidy Hutchinson said refuses to testify under oath. Well, it's a crime to lie to the court. And if he comes in and says he declassified these documents and he didn't, then he's on the hook for another crime. So yeah, he wouldn't do it, though. He would he would take the fifth again, wouldn't he? He would take the fifth and play victim and kick the can down the road. But I don't think you can take the fifth in a court order to reply to a, a motion. I don't think you can take the fifth. You have to take a position. So it'll be interesting to see whether but he. This is Donald uh, Trump, Allison. Rules don't apply to him. I mean, I think this whole process is just this, uh, you know, really a, an Olympic event to see how far privilege can be dragged in 2022. I, I can't think of any citizen alive that would get away with what he took. I, I mean, you'd be in jail. I'd be in jail. Barack Obama would be in jail if he did it. To me, it's a, it's it's just fascinating watching it play out. I, I'm dying to ask you. I, I, you know, we now know that this document describing a foreign government's military defenses, including their nuclear capabilities, was found at Mar-a-Lago by the agents. Now we know why they were so insistent on getting these documents back. Um, do you have any theories? Do you have any ideas or notions of of what this could really be about? I mean, obviously, everyone's talking about. Could it be Israeli nuclear secrets right after the Saudi royal family gives Jared two billion dollars just for being special? Is this kind of conjecture irresponsible to even engage in? We know so little about what it was. We just know it's really important. Yeah. And and think about this. That's what whoever, uh, you know, was questioning the grand jury was able to see or or because I'm I'm assuming this leak didn't come from the DOJ. I'm assuming it came from somebody who testified before the grand jury in this case. Uh, because that's usually how these things get out. And that means it's a document that can be seen by a grand jury, which means right. it's not anywhere near the worst one that we have to worry about. Yet here we are. It is, you know, FRD, uh, nuclear stuff from, from from a foreign country, possibly an ally, possibly an enemy. Uh, but the DOJ did give a little bit of a hint of where they're headed in their most recent um, uh, filing that, that we were just talking about in that, they said, you know, we can't separate the criminal investigation from the risk assessment by from the intelligence community because, for example, if the intelligence community needs to find where what happened to the documents that were in the empty folders, they mentioned the empty folders and has to look into whether or not that information was lost or compromised 
then that mm-hmm. is integral part of an FBI criminal investigation, and it cannot be bifurcated from the intelligence community risk assessment. And so I thought it was very interesting that they brought up the missing, potential missing documents, which they have said they, they have, have not to. recovered all of. Yeah, I mean, that is the most disturbing and fascinating thing about all of this. I, I None of it makes any sense. To me, it's just... It, 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 Every one of these stories, Allison, comes down to the same three factors. Trump is corrupt, but he's stupid, and he has really bad lawyers. Repeat. <laughs> yeah, I know, but he's got judges now, right, in his he's pocket. At least one. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we, we will see. Did you, did you share the opinion that this was a great big legal victory for Donald Trump on Monday? I mean, after weeks of setback to, to have a judge tap a special master to check for potential attorney, client, or executive privilege, even though he's not an executive anymore. I mean, I, I kind of felt, and this is just my tiny non-legal mind, if Trump had decent lawyers, they would have applied for this on day one. Why'd they wait so long? Uh, they weren't going to. Um, they weren't going to until they saw... Christina Bob get chewed out by Laura Ingram on Fox News. And then Trump was upset that Fox made his lawyers look bad. So we have to file something. And that was, as we know from public reporting, the impetus for filing this, uh, for filing this motion to get a special master. But I actually, and I, it's going to be hard for me to choke these words out of my mouth, but agree with Bill Barr that this this is not derailed. You're among friends. It's okay. You're among friends. Go ahead. Thank I, you. I, my name is I, my name is Allison Gill. And I've, I've I, had to make the same transition too. Go ahead. We're with. No, no. I've just you. said I agreed with Bill Barr. Hello, Allison. Hello. Hi, hi, um, Allison. Hi. Uh, but that it, this isn't going to derail the DOJ investigation. It is a, a rain delay. He said. Think of it. Yeah. If you were going to go back to the sports metaphor, we'll switch over to baseball. It's a it's like a rain delay because you cannot derail because, first of all, it's just these hundred documents that, you know, and the stuff that was seized on August 8th that that they aren't allowed to use to in their ongoing criminal investigation. And it's only a temporary stay until the special master, if that happens, goes through it, which I will see what happens with this filing. But that doesn't preclude them from using the stuff they got on in January. Well, the Mm -hmm. FBI got it in May, but the National Archives got in January. Those 15 boxes didn't doesn't preclude them from the stuff that they retrieved from Mar-a-Lago pursuant to the May subpoena when they went down on June 3rd. And she handed him a little envelope and signed a note that said, you have everything, heart, heart, star, star, love you much, bye. Um, That's how I imagine Christina Bob signs things. Uh, (laughs) So none of that um, is is part of this, you know, injunction uh, for for this. Uh, But it is of utmost national security um, uh, concern that we be able or that we like I work at the FBI, but that the FBI and the intelligence community be able to continue their risk assessment, which is cannot, it's inextricably linked to the criminal investigation. So we will see how the judge, they're giving the judge an off ramp from her totally wrong decision. Yeah, and they uh, are. And by the way, so wrong. I brought this up with Professor Brett Schneider in the last hour. Such a wrong decision. She pointedly announced it on Labor Day to get the least amount of national news coverage when no one was going to be checking the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she even said in the thing, hey, if this is a Presidential Records Act thing, this needs to be done in D.C., but I'm going to give you my decision anyway. But as Andrew Weissman has pointed out, this is not a Presidential Records Act case as much as it's a, a national security a counterintelligence investigation case. So I'm really interested to see how, how Donald's lawyers respond to this. And like you said, this is Donald Trump. 
you know, in my mind, the two choices are I declassified them. They're not classified or right. yes, they're, they're classified and we're cool with this, uh, with, you know, <laughs> with, with you doing the stay. He's probably got some weird third decision up his sleeve that neither you nor I can think of because we aren't dumb enough. Well, I need to thank you for being so smart, so moral, so brutally strong in your takedowns and making it look so easy. Everyone needs to subscribe to The Daily Beans. What's the best way, Allison, for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Sure. If you uh, are an Apple listener, you can go to apple.co slash beans and and follow us and subscribe there. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter. I'm finally verified. Oh, Um, yeah. Congratulations. Follow me on Twitter at Mueller, she wrote. Uh, That's where you can see kind of the epic takedowns and slapbacks. Um, and I, I put together a bunch of threads, uh, but now I'm called, now I'm known as the docket whisperer Well, I'll, I'll break down <laughs> complex legal filings for you and, and, and make them, uh, easy to understand. So that I, I would go to at Muller, she wrote, and then of course, mswmedia.com for all of the shows that she mentioned tonight. And, and thank you for all of your work. I wouldn't oh, be shucks. here without, without, without your work. Thank you. I mean, at a time when we see librarians getting robbed by an illiterate, uh, your voice means more than ever, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show and every time you do. And we will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Reverend Sandy is calling from L.A. in the final minutes of the show. Reverend, so nice to have you. How are you? Hey, John. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I just got back from your beautiful city. I was in L.A. on vacation last week. I know you were in... Yeah, I saw the Facebook post. Did you have a good time? Had a very nice time. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. I'm so well. Listen, what I wanted to talk about is I've been on a Twitter um, debate, I'll say kindly, with people who are... So there are people, of course, who are mourning the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Yes. And then there are people who are mourning the fact that imperialism has destroyed their lives and their nation. Yes, indeed. And I've been in that space this evening, and I just wanted to say to people that it's okay for people to be sad. It's also okay for people to be really upset today about the fact that we're thinking about a very wealthy woman, a very protected woman, a very privileged woman mm-hmm. whose wealth came from all of these nations that are still struggling. Preach. Like it's, it's, it's all pillage. Per- it's perfectly, yeah, it's perfectly okay to have whatever feeling you have. But I just need to say that imperialism, you know, and, and when 
the colonies began and the stealing the land from the Native Americans and the stealing of labor from black people, we took that over as U.S. Americans, of course, following yes. the Revolutionary War. But it started as a British enterprise and it it uh, enriched the crown. So, Reverend, I, you know, I completely agree. I got to I got to hit a break. We're, we're out say. of time, but yeah, you're right. I'm done. Yeah, well, Reverend Sandy, it's so good to hear from you. Please, please call up more often. And I completely agree. For me, it is possible to hate the monarchy and uh, and have some affection for the queen and to wish she'd apologized while acknowledging that she wasn't the one doing the colonizing. It's messy like life. And I thank you for showing us a nice way to handle it. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris and Thea. Thank you, Corey Brechneider and Allison Gill. We will be back tomorrow. This is Sirius XM Progress. Keep it tuned here all day long. Peace. Peace.